You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone Baptist in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNair, and I'm the worship pastor at Cornerstone. And today is actually a little bit different because I am one of the listeners. The content of today's episode focuses specifically on chapter 14, and I can't wait to listen as Pastor Bobby and Pastor David explore the content and really dig in so much deeper to one of the most controversial chapters in the entire Bible. As you guys listen, and as you engage in this conversation from your standpoint, what I'd love to have happen is for you to send in your feedback by texting 817-809-3040. We'll take all of the best and most relevant questions, we'll compile them together, and we'll respond to as many of them as we can in these final episodes of our conversation over 1 Corinthians. Again, it's such a joy and a privilege to be able to overhear some things and to dig into the content together. And I can't wait to hear how Pastor Bobby and Pastor David continue this conversation. Okay, our conversation today doesn't include Jeremy. A little strange for us. It feels weird. (laughs) Jeremy's part of a cohort out of Chicago, Illinois at Vertical Worship. Mm -hmm. And he's going up there this weekend to be a part of that cohort. He's got a really cool opportunity. So, I mean, if you're going to miss the best thing in the world, which is Cornerstone Conversations, you might as well be for another best thing in the world. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So let's pick up our conversation about chapter 14 that we discussed here on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As Jeremy introed... Chapter 14 is among the most controversial, contains two verses. Let me put it really in context. Contains two verses that are among the most controversial verses in the entire Bible. And we want to put that in perspective for people. And if you're obviously not a part of doing deep dives on theological controversies, when we talk about this, for instance, in the church service, and you only have like 40 minutes to talk about 40 verses... There's definitely not enough time to expound and unpack all the viewpoints that exist Mm -hmm. and refute or, you know, the controversies that exist or or explain or whatever, exegete the scripture. So we have to do things at such a high level and move very quickly. We go a little slower. And again, if people aren't part of, you know, what are the controversies and why are these two verses so controversial? I think right now we can go a little slower. Sure. And also it gives the hearer time to process twice. And the, or or re-listen to this yeah. again, and re- really, people believe that. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Or sure. know that when you hit a hard verse of scripture that doesn't seem to fit the text or sure. flow with the text, and and automatically you've got, hey, what what just happened here? This doesn't feel right, <laughs> or doesn't yeah. feel right? Maybe too subjective of a term, but it doesn't seem to follow the flow of the conversation that Paul's mm-hmm. laid out. You you can know that there are explanations. And I think you and I can probably talk about four, five, six explanations sure. why these two particular verses seem very clumsy or out of place, out of place, Just or they don't odd. go with the flow of the yeah. conversation. And we can then let our listeners know right now, or you know, in this conversation, that oh, there's all kinds of theological explanations for sure. these that exist. Sure, I would say the average church member is never talked to about these things. Right. So this conversation gives us an opportunity to talk about what really theological students probably would talk sure. about or textual critics. And usually what a church member would hear is their pastor or their a Bible teacher or someone maybe address these verses and just give an opinion and move forward. Mm-hmm. And the let's just use the term average church member would never know that they're like these highly controversial. Sure. There's, there's 
multiple explanations for what these verses mean. So we'll, we'll give some of those explanations. Let me, I guess, start chapter 14, David, by saying this is really, we did a round table mm-hmm. on spiritual gifts. Now That's concerning right. spiritual gifts, chapter 12. And then Paul digressed immediately right. to talk about the more excellent way in chapter 13. And, and Jeremy's going to next, this coming week, he's going to cap off this book because we really do think this is the heartbeat of the whole book. Yeah. And really in the chapter 12 conversation now concerning spiritual gifts. Yeah. And then he goes really not to talk about spiritual That's gifts, right. but he spent the whole chapter talking about the body, the body. Yeah. And so Paul clearly, before I talk about spiritual gifts, I want to frame the problem here at Corinth. Correct. Yeah. That we have, we're all individualistic and mm-hmm. disunified. Mm-hmm. And if we would remember that we all have the same different, but the, the same, same spirit. spirit. Yeah. And he really unified them in that, you know, he, he repeated that language. Oh, the diversity whole, the whole of gifts, the same spirit. Yeah. And he used Lord, God, spirit and saying, I want to be sure you're getting this. This is God <laughs> at work who unifies yeah. us in the gospel. Yeah. And this idea of spiritual superpowers or one gift is the ultimate sign that right. I am spiritual elite. Right. I want to blow that thinking up right now. Yeah. And the way he did it, remember he asked the rhetorical questions mm-hmm. over and over. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? There you so, go. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. no. Right. And no, do all then speak with tongues. Yeah. The he set them up. The answer is no. Because now they have to say no. Yeah. So therefore it can't be this elite, elite gift for only sure. the baptized in the spirit sure. or only the filled with the spirit or only sure. the pneumaticos, yeah, you the know, spiritual people, the spirit people, yeah, the spiritual yeah. people, which is again, all of these are answering the big Corinthians question. What does it mean to be spiritual? Yeah, because right. Paul, we think you're not, and we think we are. Yeah. And so it appears, mm-hmm. we believe that that zero Corinthians conversation is referring to how Paul, when he came, set up the church, led him to Christ, preached the gospel. But it appears he didn't speak in tongues yeah. in the corporate worship. Well, now they do. Right. So see, they've grown beyond Way Paul. past Paul. And how could he be apostle if we grew past him? Yeah. Well, we don't think he is an apostle. Yeah, so there you go. You're not a spiritual man of Paul. And see, we are because we speak in tongues in the mm-hmm. worship service. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, you're foolish. You're children. You're babies. Yeah. And for 14 chapters, this yeah. is what he's done. And then you reference chapter 13. That's right. Which Jeremy will give us really the capstone of yeah. the whole book about, I show you a more excellent way. Yeah. And that is the way of love. That's right. And so he's really going to say, if we had had a high view of the gospel and a true love for one another and the body of Christ, you wouldn't be acting all of this foolishness. That's right. And that is really what I want to say to you. So that's really the capstone we'll get to then in the next week. The order we preach it in is Mm -hmm. we're going to preach 12 and then 14 because 14 is really the continuation of 12. 12 started now concerning spiritual gifts. That's right. Now, I really haven't talked about them. I'm going to talk about the body. Right. But now he's going to talk about them. And we're, we're only unlinking 12, 13, and 14 for that reason. It's not as though we think 13 stands alone. 13, of course, in context with 12 and 14, all work together to create a cohesive through thought. And Jeremy will explain that. Right. But we're, we're not unlinking them because we think 13 is, is only uh, or like an exclusive passage all by itself or something like that. We recognize that it's in context. But... We also think that the language of 13 transcends even its own exact context because yeah. the way that Paul talks about love is just going to be fantastic. We can't I, wait I for to come tell us that. Casual reader. That's right. Of 1 Corinthians or of the New Testament. Yeah. 
would know something about chapter 13. That yeah. is the love chapter. They probably heard it at a wedding before. They probably heard it at a wedding. They probably <laughs> sure. seen it maybe on jewelry. It's some of the most beautiful language ever Period. written by mankind. Yeah. So we'll, we'll deal with that in an upcoming thing. Before we deal with 14, because as 14 opens, mm-hmm. it sets the record straight on whether Paul believes spiritual gifts are a good thing or a bad thing and should be pursued. Yeah. Now I want to use that before we read the verse. I want to just articulate, because I've already got the question, Pastor, what does this mean about cessationism? Mm. So one of our young theological minds here Sunday morning got me in the foyer, and she said to me, Uh Pastor, okay, so does this dismantle what you're proposing cessationism for us as a church? Now, most of our listeners right now don't know what that term means. means. It's something reserved only for the pointed head theological people. So let's talk about this for a minute before we jump to the text. So cessationism, that word comes from cease, to cease, cessation Mm -hmm. is a derivative of the word Mm -hmm. cease. Cessationism is the theological teaching Mm -hmm. that the gifts have ceased. Right. And they have ceased because the age of the apostles has ceased and the Bible has been completed and therefore... I'm just kind of articulating the position a little bit. The spiritual gifts are no longer in play for the modern church. That's right. And we should even say that even within that, so that's a pretty broad generic definition there. Even within the cessationist camp, there's going to be, you know, a spectrum of how far or how little some will say only the sign gifts have ended and they'll, they'll say only the miraculous things like tongues and interpretation of tongues or healing healing and miracles and those kinds of things. Miracles will have ceased. They'll say those have ended. And then some on the extreme end of the scale will say all the gifts gifts have have ended. Right. Yeah. So cessation is the teaching among Christians, and I'm going to try to be a little more narrow, it tends to be among evangelicals, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very prominent in the Baptist theological camp, that the gifts have ceased. And maybe we should say even one more tick in the West. In the Western world. That's right, in the West. And let me qualify that, and here's why. We already know uh, Jenkins out of Baylor has written probably the best work on this. There are current Mm -hmm. studies Mm -hmm. out that are tracking Christianity's spread, rise, decline, whatever, Christianity's movement (laughs) through the human race on planet Earth right now. And they are predicting by what they're seeing Mm -hmm. as present trends in Christianity that America will follow Europe Mm -hmm. and continue the post-Christian trend. That's right. And that by 2050, Christianity will no longer be Western, Northern Hemisphere-dominated Mm-hmm. religious belief that the dominant Christian nations are going to be Southern hemisphere nations. Mm-hmm. And let's say by 2050, I think the study we read by Jenkins said that by 2050, it's not that far away now. No. In 30 years. No, it's not far at all. The average Christian will live in Africa or Latin America, mm-hmm. will be a 15 year old mm-hmm. female yep. who lives in abject poverty. Right. That's where Christianity's going. Yeah. It's moving to the Southern Hemisphere among the Latin nations and the African nations. And the study further cites that those Christians will be charismatic. Yes. That is the future of Christianity. If it stays on the trend, it's on. And there's no reason for us to think it won't. Sure. I would say seeing the charismatic leaning or the charismatic influence churches as growing much more rapidly in this present era than the mainline denominations and Baptists, which is the tradition of most of our listeners, is definitely a thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's definitely a quantifiable yeah. thing. We even see it in, here in our own context. Yeah. And certainly we know it is overseas. Sure. Okay. So with that out, mm-hmm. the Baptists, the traditional Baptists tend to believe in cessationism, that the spiritual gifts ceased at the end of the apostolic era. So let me just throw a number. That's about 100 AD. Sure. With John being the last of the capital A apostles alive. Right. So somewhere around the 100 or so second century, mm-hmm. the apostolic era is ended. Mm-hmm. And therefore the spiritual gifts, certainly the miraculous and the this, that, and the other have yep. ceased. The other camp, let me give you two extreme views. The yep. other extreme view would be the charismatic view that all the spiritual gifts are still in play. And I'll go a step further. They hold the Corinthian position that tongues is the ultimate of those gifts. And so that when one receives the baptism of the spirit, they will speak in tongues mm-hmm. as proof that they are. Yeah, a sign. And we would disagree with that terminology. Sure. And we would talk more about the filling of the spirit probably than the baptism of the spirit. Yeah. But that position on the extreme says all the gifts are in play. Yeah. And you should, every Christian should speak in tongues. Right. That would be the goal for, that would be like the yeah. ultimate for everyone to speak in tongues. Right. Again, now the other poll is cessationism. The gifts yeah, have ceased. It's all done, yeah. Okay, so there's, you can obviously understand why, I'll just use generalities again, again right. Baptists and Pentecostals or Assemblies of God, charismatic beliefs would stand, why they would be a divide. Right. Why the Baptists, and again, the charismatics really came into prominence around the early 1900s mm-hmm. and up into the, the modern era then yep. became rapidly spreading, yeah. rapidly growing denominational view, Pentecostalism, yeah. Assembly of God, et cetera. Yeah. And they are on one pole on this spiritual gifts issue. Mm-hmm. And the Baptists will be on another pole mm-hmm. with the cessationism. And again, I'm over generalizing, Absolutely. but just to show our sure. listeners the extremes here. And so you need to be asking yourself, are we cessationists or are we continuists? Yeah. And then again, so if I say I'm Baptist, does that mean I'm automatically a cessationist? Right. Or if I say I'm a continuous, does that automatically make me quote unquote charismatic? Right. And so let's see if we can unpack that a little bit. (laughs) And now I want to read verse one of chapter 14 and let's see if it gives us guidance. Paul says, pursue love. Well, that was chapter 13 that we're going to get next week Mm -hmm. and desire spiritual gifts. Yeah. Especially that you might prophesy to proclaim the word of God, especially that. Yeah. So, David, do you find it consistent that Paul seems to consistently be saying, pursue spiritual gifts, these are a good thing? Or do you think Paul is saying spiritual gifts are bad and they'll end someday, so don't even worry about them? Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case. The latter, I, I think the former is true. I think Paul does want us to pursue the way of love that he's just talked about in 13, and he wants us to desire the spiritual gifts. And again, now he has this caveat phrase, and especially that you may prophesy. We have to put this all in context. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 deal specifically with the church when it meets together, the church gathering. Okay, For us, so it's a Sunday morning. We don't so. want to skip over this slightly now. Yeah. Spiritual gifts can be used outside of the church. Absolutely. You made this point Sunday in the round table. Yeah, we're not trying to be exclusive. But but Paul is speaking to a very specific situation. He's now answering their concerns. We're not in Chloe's report. Now we're in concerning the matters you wrote to me about. And now he's giving answers now concerning spiritual Mm -hmm. gifts, now concerning this. Okay. And so as he answers their questions, he's speaking to a very specific context. Exactly. Their context is clear. Right. It's clear by chapter 14, at least Paul's issue and their issue and their issue with each other is (laughs) 
They're abusing the worship service. That's correct. And we know that all the way from chapter 11 to now. Correct. The Lord's Supper, how we're treating each other, how we're trampling each other's rights, how the men and women are in conflict in the worship service by how they present themselves. Oh, yeah. And again, because of their over-realized eschatology or because of their flawed views, it led to aberrant behavior. We talked about that. And that aberrant behavior is aberrant behavior now in the worship service that he's dealing with. So he wants them to pursue spiritual gifts. Absolutely. Because they're for the body. He just spent an entire chapter in chapter 12 talking about that. I could make the argument that any worship service is the exercise of spiritual gifts. Absolutely. Because there are people ministering to the body. Yes. And edifying the body. Yes. And that's... What happens on a Sunday is the body is edified. You know, in our view around here at Cornerstone, the more people using their gifts, the better. Man, absolutely. And that means watching children and writing lessons and preparing snacks and greeting people at the door and praying with people and just a million things could be the expression of manifestation, activity of the Holy Spirit through you to edify the body of Christ. Now, when 14 opens, Paul says, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. Yeah. Now, nowhere does Paul say... Desire them for the next few years, because when I die, they're going to all be gone. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So, you know, when we talk about cessationism here, it seems a little ridiculous. Right. And you're chuckling just then. Yeah. But I want to let our listeners know, this is what Baptist pastors in seminary are taught. Sure. If you go to a Baptist school or even Dallas Theological or DBU Mm -hmm. or any conservative school will most likely likely teach their students cessationism Mm -hmm. or the professors are cessationists or have that leaning or using textbooks that Mm -hmm. will lean that way. And so it's normal, not abnormal for a Baptist to be a cessationist. And again, you, you mentioned that that comes from our heritage of the past 120 years. There has been this sort of issue between the more charismatic wing and the more conservative wing. And so out of that pops kind of a cultural reality that we all right. live in. So we just kind of by default, Baptists are right. not, not every Baptist is that way. Right. But by default, that kind That's of cessation the general is a, set yeah, yeah. of Baptists. Now, clearly what we've been teaching the congregation here at Cornerstone hmm. is not cessationism. Right. And that should be very clear to everyone that we are teaching the gifts are in play. Yeah. And that thou shalt not say to the Holy Spirit, thou shalt not. And we are clearly teaching our people to, as Paul does, Mm -hmm. desire spiritual gifts. Absolutely. Seek gifting. Find your gift in community. Mm. Exercise your gift in community. It is not your gift. It's from God (laughs) through you to the congregation. which Jeremy explained on Sunday. So if we're talking about the spiritual gifts in play and telling our people to seek gifts, are we charismatic then? Does that mean then we are not Baptists, but Pentecostals or assemblies of God? (laughs) And the answer would be no. Yeah. Because that position then says everyone should speak in tongues as the evidence that they have the baptism. Yeah. Of the spirit. Really? They should be saying filling of the spirit in their lives. So to say the gifts are in play, what you're saying is you hold some position that's not traditionally Baptist, right? nor is it charismatic. Sure. We're somewhere in the middle here. And we is, don't it, really is it know. unusual then for us to try to follow the Bible as best we can, yeah. Yeah. but find ourselves kind of outside the camp's structure that exists? Is this okay? 
I think it is. And actually, this is why I think what's interesting actually on this is that the AG, which is Assemblies of God and the Baptists both hold the church autonomy. <laughs> yes. So I think that's a wonderful thing that they both hold to. And in that vein, we are, since we are an autonomous body, we can make those decisions in keeping with what we think right. scripture says. Right. And so it's okay, I think, for us to not say we are cessationist or we're continuous. I don't know that we need to define ourselves quite that way. I think we just need to look at what the scripture says and just be really clear on what our position is. So let's see if we can articulate our position. Mm -hmm. It is our position that we want to do our best to follow the scripture. Yeah. And I'll say it another way. It is our position that we want to follow the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We are not in the business here at Cornerstone of saying to the Holy Spirit. Mm. And again, I want everybody to hear when I say Holy Spirit, I'm saying God. Right. Those are interchangeable words. Yeah. We are not in the business here of telling God how he can operate. Is that fair? I think that's a good position to be in. I think that's a great position to be in. We're going to say to the Holy Spirit of God, we're going to say, Spirit of God, you do as you see fit. Here am I. Use me. Yeah. And if he calls us to be sent ones, mm -hmm. we call that a little a apostle, then we'll go be that. Yeah. If he calls us to stay right here and show mercy. Mm or use the gift of helps yeah. or administration yeah. or technology <laughs> or, we talk to our hospita <laughs> or relational know. environments or whatever. That's we're, the whole point. We're going to say yes to that. Whatever it is, we're going to do. It doesn't make us Pentecostal. Mm -mm. It doesn't make us Baptist either though. Right. It puts us somewhere in a position that says, we believe the Holy Spirit's still at work. Now, I think mm. what's confusing to Americans, and I don't want to beat up Americans, but mm -hmm. what's confusing to Americans is you only have American perspective. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So to say, well, God doesn't use tongues or healings or miracles just is not true. Yeah. It's just not factually based. Yeah. And my mother could talk to you about a tongues experience. Okay. But it didn't happen in America. Right. It happened when ministering to people groups and trying to share the gospel and not having appropriate interpreters there mm -hmm. to translate the language and how people could hear the gospel and respond to it. We could talk to you about demons being cast out yeah. by one. You know, Jeremy had this experience where he cast out a demon out of a woman in India. Yeah. Our disciples in Asia talk about these things all the time. Yeah. It's just as normal as breathing to them. Yeah. They don't see the big deal because in these especially idolatrous places where Christian is still being, it's still a pioneer work. Yeah, absolutely. It's not the norm. Right. You deal with these kinds of things all the time. Listen, in Asia, if I go and preach in a village after church, it would not be uncommon for the, especially the mothers with their little children hmm. to line up. I was preaching in South India once and they just, amen, you're dismissed. God bless you. And all of a sudden this line forms <laughs> Yeah, uh, and the heads are covered and, Sure. Here the women come with their little, ba holding a baby or bringing two little kids along by the hand. Right. And I'm like, what's happening right now? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. And the pastor said, oh, they're coming for your blessing. Hmm. Certainly not a Western tradition. No. But it's their tradition. And they would step forward and there would be maybe a child, maybe a sick child. Hmm. And I'm looking to the pastor and saying, what does this woman want me to do right now? Mm-hmm. And he said, she's brought her sick child, wants you to lay hands on the child mm -hmm. and pray for its healing. Yeah. Well, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I think that's we? a very scriptural thing. Yeah. And how dare you, if you had that moment said, no, 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 that gift has ceased. And I can't be praying. For I'm sorry. Family. John, the apostle has died, ma'am. Right. No, no one can help you. Yeah, that's God's silly. out of business and the Holy Spirit can't do this for <laughs> you because John's dead. Exactly. I think it's ridiculous. And yeah. so you lay hands and you pray. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't claim to have the gift of healing, but I know this in a place where people don't believe when you pray over their sick loved ones Mm. and they are healed, recovered, you use whatever word you want to use when they are fine a few days from now, it becomes a moment of faith for people who don't have a Bible, who have never heard the gospel, who know nothing about theological hairs to split. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, we don't want to be in the business of saying, because we don't see it in America, it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's a really, I don't know, conceited position or really, I don't know how else to characterize it. It's just a skewed viewpoint, yeah. narrow viewpoint, because yeah. Yeah. we don't know what's going on in the world. Right. We can't imagine a society where they don't have a Bible in their own language. Right. They still exist. Oh yeah. We can't imagine a culture so beat down and repressed that they're starving for hope and love and yep. prayer. And when you come and pray over them or pray for their healing or bless their families, it's different. Yeah. Ministering in other parts of the world isn't like ministering in America. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to beat up on America. I just want to say it's different. Yeah. And just because we see one thing here, don't mistake that. That's right. We are only 300 million people. Right. Out of 8 billion now? Is that Out of 8 plus billion. Yeah. India's 1.1 billion. Right. China's 1.2 or 3 billion. Yeah. There's a whole lot of people that are not Americans. Mm-hmm. And they will respond to the gospel if they hear it. Yeah. And they are experiencing in some places healing. Mm-hmm. They are experiencing devils being cast out. Yeah. They are experiencing some unusual things. Yeah. Now, this scares Baptists to death when you talk like this. Right. And I want to defend them for a minute. Because what the traditional Baptists, I guess, are nervous about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that people equate their experiences to Scripture. Oh, yeah. And I can definitely understand that. Because again, we've been talking about how there's kind of spectrums to these viewpoints. And the far extreme of the continuous viewpoint would be that anything that I experience now from the Holy Spirit now is new revelation. I had a dream the other night. Right. Blah, 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 blah. And now all of a sudden, I believe that my dream is from the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I equate that on an equal level That's with right. scripture. And there's the danger of what you just said. Someone yeah. jumps up in a service and say, I has the gift of prophecy. Right. And I proclaim blah, 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 blah. Right. And now that could go anywhere. That's right. That's and right. we want to state clearly that here we have a very high view of scripture. Absolutely. And I think it's okay to say we're not cessationists, nor are we charismatics, as long as we can say we have a high view of scripture and we're going to interpret everything through the lens of scripture. That's right. And if someone has a word of knowledge, mm-hmm. air quotes, mm-hmm. and it doesn't line up with the teaching of scripture, yeah. we're going to say no to that. Absolutely. And I think Paul even <laughs> tells the Corinthians and second Corinthians that you're supposed to take captive every thought. Not everything that comes to you is from the Holy Spirit. Because again, we're talking to spiritual people. I put that right. in quotes. Right. And so everything they're thinking right now, oh, this must be from the Holy Spirit right. or whatever. You're talking about the, the spirit of the prophets is subject unto the prophets. He says that even in chapter 14. You've got to keep yourself under That's control. Right. That's you, right. You've got to bring your thoughts into captivity. And everything goes in subjection to what's been revealed to us through scripture. If we filter it through scripture, yeah. again, this was not written to us. Yeah. It was preserved for us And you might even say the scripture is given to us as this lens through which we are to interpret our feelings, our experiences, the words of knowledge, the dreams. We start talking about experiences. Everybody will have one. Well, I had this thing happen that I've never been able to explain. And I think this was God saying to me X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. But does it align with scripture? That's right. 
And I think you brought up the example as we were kind of, we were just being silly. Yeah. You brought up an, like just an extreme example where somebody like the son of Sam or that serial killer in New York back in the day said that God told me to kill these people. Yeah. Or God told me to drown my children or like, God told me to commit some heinous act. Yeah. Okay. That's not God. Because nowhere in the Bible is that okay. That's not okay. And it doesn't align with scripture. That's right. And again, so this harkens for us as a congregation, why we need to be thoroughly grounded in scripture. That's right. While hiding God's word in our heart Mm. that we learn in the discipleship process. And really it's a lifetime thing, but it begins in discipleship where we're actually held accountable to memorize and say it back. That's right. Becomes a great discipline for us Mm. because the more we saturate our lives with the word of God, the more we can say, Mm. let me say it this way, the more I feel like you have a spirit of discernment. That's right. Because you know what the scripture says and you can say, oh, that doesn't ring true. Or yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's right. And it keeps you from being led astray. Yeah. And I think it's safe for our congregation not to be in either of the extreme Extreme camps on this, but to say, we're going to follow scripture. It's not an aberrant position. (laughs) You know, it's not a freaky thing to say, we're going to listen to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we're going to try to stay true to that. And as long as we don't go extra biblical, in other words, We're not going to have new prophecies. That's right. That's what no, I'm saying. No new revelation. Yeah. The scripture yeah. has what we need. Absolutely. We just need Completely to make a sufficient. fresh application of it. That's right. And you even brought up as we were talking about this, which I thought was fantastic, was that sometimes we'll say things like, I felt led by the spirit just to come and tell you Okay. This. So now, now Paul's there. A traditional Baptist cessationist would say to you, don't use that language because you're adding to scripture. Hmm. You're saying God said, turn over to chapter and verse and show me where God said <laughs> yeah. for you to do that. Right. But yet you or anybody listening to us would clearly use that language and say, well, God led me to, yeah. you know, send a letter to this person or to put my arm around this person sure, or to pray, for pray with this or, person. Yeah. And I just felt like God led yeah. me. And I didn't know what was going on in their life, but they were really impacted by what I came and said to them or prayed with them about or, or, or the way that I engaged them in a new relationship. And again, how could we say that that's not the Holy Spirit leading if it builds the body, is in line with what scripture is about, and is exercising one of my gifts for the common good? We would argue it is the expression, exactly. a manifestation, that's an right. activity led by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that we don't have to have in the Bible... Yeah. A book called (laughs) Manifestation Options of the Holy Spirit. And that for 20 chapters just says the Holy Spirit could do this, or he might lead you to do this. Because that book would be exhaustive. It'd be bigger than the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. We would have like 57 volumes of optional things the Holy Spirit might lead one to do. And still it wouldn't include everything. That's right. Because who knows what circumstance you're going to be in at some point in your life. I never imagined I'd be speaking in Israel. I never imagined 30 years ago I'd be leading people to Christ in Nepal or Burma, God just opens doors That's right. and we step through them. And I really think that we would find a whole new freedom and a whole new fruitfulness mm. if we would just say yes to the Holy Spirit. Mm. You often hear us as we're preaching here, God, That's if God wants say. us to do this, what do we say? And the whole congregation will yes. say, yes, we're yeah. going to say yes to God. Absolutely. Okay. It's become a mantra around here. Yeah. Well, what we're saying is mm. listen to the Holy Spirit. If he says to you, do this, then just listen to him. It's going to be fine. And I think for most people in our tradition, that's scary. But I think that's kind of what we ought to lean into a little bit. And and we ought to try to use our discernment and our wisdom, as Paul's been talking about in the rest of the book, use good judgment, use discernment. And when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, no one's saying you're hearing audible words. Maybe that could happen, but probably not. No, but, I don't think any of know, us mean that. I don't no, think anybody no, don't means think like, like I heard a voice. A, yeah, secretly telling me or something like that. But no. we would describe it as an inner an voice. impulse, a burning desire. Like I have to go tell this person this thing, or because I feel again, so led it's or not whatever. Satan saying to you, 
witness <laughs> to this person. Uh, it's not. Yeah, Satan doesn't want that. Yeah, it's not a demonic influence saying. That's right. Be an encourager and a lover of oh, people man. and give your gifts to the poor. I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's clearly the teaching of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus says a house divided can't stand. Yeah. The devil would not do that. Absolutely. So follow those impulses. If those impulses align with what the scripture is about, if they edify the common good, then take a little risk there and see if that's something that the Holy Spirit is leading you towards. And I think if we live that way, man, you just said that so wonderfully. I'm trying to remember the exact words that you said. Our fruitfulness, I wonder what would happen. It would to, increase. Man, we would abound with imagine. fruit if we would just say yes to God. And if he leads, just say, okay, and let's see where this goes. Yeah. So again, really? we're, we're not cessationist or continuationist. We don't know that we're, we're going to define ourselves that way necessarily. But again, if that's what it means to be a Baptist, to say that the Holy Spirit is no longer working through, yeah, sheesh, then right. we're going to say we're not Baptists. Yeah, can't do that. But that scares people for me to say that, and right. I know that. And right. so I want to be careful with that language because that's my roots and that's mm, my tradition. Mm. I just want to articulate to people that what the hearers right now, not what I believe, but what you actually believe probably doesn't align up with current Baptist sure. thought. You are in a middle position right? and it's ringing true. The Holy Spirit's telling you this is what the scripture's teaching. Yeah. And so we're just showing the congregation where it is. We're kind of walking mm. in a middle position. Mm -hmm. At the moment, we tend to take fire from both sides. <laughs> we have in our congregation people who are from charismatic traditions. Yeah. They're very happy here. We have people here who come from, you know, hard right cessationist backgrounds. Sure. They're very happy here. And so what they've figured out how to do is exactly what Paul has prescribed. Mm, that's right. To walk together in unity and love yeah. and find this common spirit mm. who is empowering all of us to work together, to see through the lens of the gospel, to edify and build that's up, right. to make disciples. Listen, what we have is beautiful. And again, those Christians are mature enough to do exactly what you talked about on Sunday, what Paul says, which is the limiting of the tongues and prophecy. Everything has to be done in an orderly fashion. And those who are mature in Christ know that when they show up to the organized meeting, the gathering on Sunday morning, they're going to subdue some of the things that maybe they feel like they have the right to do in order to benefit the common good. So let's see if we can just characterize really the first 30 verses of this, mm. you know, the first big chunk. Yeah. We're almost the whole chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Is really about Paul saying, no tongues in the corporate gathering. Yeah. And he gives reasons why. Yeah. And really his whole thesis statement on why no tongues mm -hmm. are to be spoken in the public worship is because it doesn't edify the body of Christ. That's right. They're unintelligible. We come here on a Sunday morning for the common good. We That's talked right. about Sunday. That's right. The benefit of the body. We've come together for corporate worship, yes. not private worship. Yes. And now you as an individual can worship, but you're here yeah. publicly worshiping with all of us. Yeah. We have a lot of gifted speakers in this church, sure. but typically you or I are the ones speaking. Yeah. Well, the reason you and I don't talk at the same time <laughs> or 50 of us don't talk at the same time is because it would just be a mayhem. You already think we have a long service. Yeah, it'd <laughs> be mayhem. <laughs> and listen, when, when the three of us get together with Jeremy and we start talking about theology, we just geek out on all the theology and sure. we just talk over each other and get passionate and interrupt yeah. and all of this kind of thing. And the church, they've got to where they, they snicker at this and they come say things to me about how y'all step on each other and cut <laughs> each other. I said, that's normal. This is what staff meeting looks right. like. And we love it because yeah. we're, we feed off of each other. Yeah. But you couldn't do that in corporate worship. And Our round table, we try to calm it down right. a whole lot. That's right. Just so there's continuation of thought. But again, imagine if there's 50 in the room and there's an unbeliever who walks in, which is one of Paul's great points in the passage, that if an unbeliever walks in and there's this chaotic thing happening. Will they not say you're mad? That's exactly right. 
they'll think you're crazy when they see this mayhem down there and yeah. say, how could anybody be benefited by an hour of confusion? Yeah. What did you take away today? Nothing. It was a mess. Yeah. And Paul said that cannot be. It cannot be. What we're going for here. That's right. And so. And that's why there is that contrast between prophecy and tongues specifically in because this passage. prophecy is a gift. Yeah. That does edify the congregation. That's right. Everybody can understand what's being said in a prophetic word. Because we say it in English. That's right. And our listeners speak English. And again, going back to Sunday, prophecy doesn't mean necessarily future telling. Maybe that's an element of it, but it's not really what, what prophecy really means in the Bible. Prophecy really is about speaking the truth to your moment, being saturated in God's word enough to be able to speak the truth into where you're at. And that's what, exactly what we're intending so when we're to seeing, do in the Sunday gathering. Paul says, I wish you would all prophesy. Yeah. So what he's saying is, I wish everybody could proclaim the word of God. That's right. And of course, this book really tries to shift everything back away from worldly wisdom to the That's gospel. Right. That's right. So I could really imagine what Paul's saying here is, I wish everybody yeah. could proclaim the gospel mm. clearly. Mm. Mm-hmm. What the world needs, again, another book Paul wrote, Romans, mm. for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for yeah. it is the power of God unto salvation right. to everyone that believes. Yeah. This is God's word for Jews, Greek, everyone. It <laughs> yeah. works wherever it's proclaimed right. to the saving of people. And I can envision that what Paul has in view here is, I wish everyone could proclaim the gospel. That's right. And in his own illustration in this chapter, he said, and if you proclaim the gospel, the sinner will be convicted in your midst and he will fall down and say, surely God is in this place. That's absolutely right. And again, that is his whole contrast that you've talked about here that he sets up. And again, like you said on Sunday, he's not bullying tongues as if it's not a gift that should be No, he's just putting it in its right place. So let's talk about what is its right place. Right. It seems like what Paul's saying here is that it's for personal prayer life with God. Right. And what you brought up again on Sunday, which is so important for us to understand, is that what's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and what's happening in Acts chapter 2 are two different things. Right. Because the people in Acts 2 clearly say, we hear this in our own language. That's right. And we are, you know, Parthians and Medes or whatever, yeah. and whatever, and, and whatever, or whatever. And also say. what Peter and the other apostles are doing is they're clearly, they're doing prophetic things in their own clear, right minds. Because they're not drunk. They had to tell somebody, no, yeah. it's only nine in the morning. We haven't yeah. been drinking yet. They're clearly speaking and people are clearly hearing in their yeah. own languages. That's something different than what Paul's referencing here right. in First Corinthians chapter What 14. he's saying here is it's unknown. You're speaking in some unknown thing. That's right. Unintelligible to you. Now, you've made references all throughout the book to Paul's unique invocation of angels. That's right. I think now's probably when we should say it looks like Mm -hmm. what the Corinthians thought was happening. Yeah. Is that they were speaking in some angelic language. That's right. Again, what we've talked about all over and over again, they've transcended to such a spiritual level that they can speak in the language of angels. And Jeremy's going to talk about that at the beginning of chapter 13. But Paul, if you said, I don't understand what you're saying, they would say, well, that's right. You don't. Of course you could. Of course you couldn't. (laughs) Because I have the gift of tongues and you don't. That's right. I'm talking to the angels right now. They understand me and they are here. But Paul's big point is that if an unbeliever is here in our midst, no one knows what you're saying. And not even just unbelievers, the whole body's not edified by you speaking in tongues because it's unintelligent to us. And he uses those, what you're talking about this Sunday, he uses languages, he uses the word tongues, but really he's talking about other languages, kind of likening it towards the big point he's trying to make, which is that a language is understood, but if it's a foreigner to the language, they can't understand it. The same is happening with your tongues. If you have a passionate expression of your spirit and you're led to speak in tongues, no one understands what you're saying, which is why you should pray for an interpretation. And it's why he limits it. If you're going to speak in tongues, fine. Okay. Okay. Uh, Tongues is a valid gift. 
if you're gonna speak in tongues, here are the parameters, one or two at most, and there must be an interpreter. And I think that killed it for them because yeah. there was no interpretation for what yeah. they were doing. Right. So tongues is best left in your prayer life. That's right. We have Cornerstone members who in their prayer life would say, if you interview them, see, I speak in tongues sometimes in my prayer mm -hmm. life. Now, what is true of most of those people is they grew up in a charismatic tradition. Yeah. And this is something in our reading and in our research and in our question asking of people, this is a common thread we seem to find. Mm -hmm. If you were brought up in a more charismatic viewpoint, yeah. you probably do speak in tongues. That's right. If you were brought up in more of a Baptist viewpoint, you don't speak in tongues. And I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I'm yeah. saying it's just is what it is. That's right. And now Paul wouldn't say to our tongue speaking cornerstone members, right. you're not allowed to do that. He would say good for you. Yeah. Because he himself says, and I speak in tongues more than all y'all. <laughs> but I think that when Paul said that, that was a shock to them, I believe. Yeah. Because they're like, what? <laughs> exactly. What do you mean you speak in you tongues? You didn't while you were here. We've never heard you speak in tongues. Yeah, exactly. And I think Paul winks and he says, exactly. Yeah. Because that's something between me and God. That's right. And I don't do it in the corporate worship. Yeah. Because it's inappropriate in the corporate worship. That's right. Because it doesn't edify anybody. Yeah. And the corporate worship is about edifying the whole body. Which again is why he makes such a big point about prophecy. It's not to say tongues is bad, but he's intentionally using... It's not the gift for that moment. That's right. Because he's intentionally using unintelligible gift tongues. I'd rather and speak... intelligible I'd rather gift speak prophecy. five words in the congregation... That's correct. ...that you, somebody could understand. Watch his hyperbole. Yeah. yeah then 10,000 <laughs> words that no one could understand. That's exactly right. You know, he's using so much strong language here. Yeah. yeah. Stop being children. Yeah. Stop being children. Mm. Stop trying to have your way and assert your rights and say, I'm right and you're wrong. Nay, nay, boo. I know you are, but what am I? I'm rubber, you're glue. I mean, <laughs> it's like the conversation he's having to have with them. Yeah. And because their contention again is, we are the spiritual, we speak in tongues. Yeah. Paul's like, you don't even know how to use your gift. Right. Stop being children. Yeah. Use that gift at home. Mm. But here in the worship assembly, yeah. we need to only say things that are understandable. Because in his big point at the end, verse 33, God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And so how could our worship services be disorderly if God is the God of order and not a God of disorder? He's a God of peace. And so this is Paul's whole point throughout this passage is that it all has to be in subjection to what the Bible says. It all has to be done in an orderly fashion because who knows who's going to be in the midst of our congregation. When they see your life and you, they hear you sharing the gospel, they're going to want to come and check out what this church thing is about. Yeah. And when they show up, they have to understand what's being said so in these context, moments. When they show up, we've invited them here yeah. and we've welcomed them here so they can hear the gospel. Yeah. That's the point. And again, maybe some of these new converts to Christianity don't know how necessarily to share the whole gospel yet. So maybe that's the stage they're at. They're just inviting people. They're really excited about this new community they're a part of. And so they're bringing them all in. So it has to be intelligible. Right. Okay. So now that's really what the bulk of the chapter is that's about. Right. That's right. Tongue's not a bad thing. Nope. Evidently still in play. Yep. We're just not going to do that in the corporate worship. And I think that's reasonable. Okay. It's totally reasonable. Now that sets up at the end of the chapter, then two verses that come at us out of left field. Okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I've got an NIV and the CSB open in front mm -hmm. of me. One of the things, again, you'll notice about these verses is that verse 33, mm -hmm. 
is divided differently in different You're right. versions. You're right. And this is because they don't know for sure what's going on in 34 and 35. That's right. There's so no, it creates problems for 33. For it creates problems for 33. Yeah. yeah. Does half of 33 belong to the next paragraph right. with 34 and 35? Or is 33 one complete statement in itself? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so let, let, let's deal with 33 sure. for sure. a minute, and then we'll deal with 34 and 35. So 33 CSB, I'll read 32. 32 is, and the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets. This is your comment on, we're going to be under self-control. That's right. That's right. 33, since God is not the God of disorder, but of peace. Hmm. That seems to go together. Yeah. The sure. spirits that you need to get yourself under control yeah. because God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And that's been his point for this whole paragraph there from 26 down to 33. Now, so. the problem sure. is that's only half of verse 33. <laughs> that's right. The other half of verse 33 is this phrase as in all the churches of the saints. Yeah. So here's what there is not consensus on. Yeah. Is Paul saying, get yourself under control, 32, yeah. because 33, God is not the God of disorder of peace as in all the churches of the saints. That could work. Yeah. Right. That could work. Or is all God, the churches are supposed to be in peace and order. Yeah. Yeah. We want to go into any church and have yeah. the same orderliness and decorum and a gospel presentation and hear the worship being sung to God and hear clear prayer. You know, he says in this chapter, how can somebody say amen? Yeah. If they don't know what the heck you're saying. If they don't know what the heck you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And I've even thought about this. I know my friends in Romania. I know Elijah very well. I understand like 10 words and 20 <laughs> words in Romanian. You know, if you're in a Romanian service, you'll hear words like enema. Well, an enema in America means one thing, <laughs> That's right. but enema in Romanian yeah. is heart. You know what I'm That's saying? Very different. And so you, you'll hear some words in a prayer and you're wondering, well, exactly what's happening here? Somebody just got an enema in the prayer, you know? No, it's enema. And, you know, different things are happening in the sure, prayer. Sure, But I know enough of the words, you know, you drug ghoste, you're hearing words for God and love and mm -hmm. whatever in a prayer. You know, when Elijah prays and I'm in Romania, he'll pray. And when he's done, just out of habit, yeah. I'll say, Amen. I have no idea what he just said. <laughs> yeah, and so really, I'm not supposed to say amen. And I think in this context, I can say amen because I know him. That's right. And I know his heart yeah. and I know where he's at. Yeah. But technically, I just amen something. That was unintelligible. Yeah. He could have said vote for Bernie for president <laughs> of Romania. And I may have just amended. it. I don't even know, exactly. you know. So anyway, Paul's like, you can't say amen unless you understand. That's right. So orderly, orderly, orderly. Yeah. That frames the chapter. And that's what it should Half be in right every there? single Could church. Could make total sense right. being tagged onto the end of that sentence there. Okay. So now let's read it as the CSB has broken it now. That's right. They've broken it like this. They've broken it to where the last half of 33 goes with 34 and 35. That's right. That's right. So it'll read like this in the CSB. As in all the churches of the saints, comma, the women should be silent. Mm. Wow. Where did that come from? Yeah, we're for they are not permitted to speak, Oof. but are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home. It's disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Yeah. Next sentence. Or did the word of God originate from you? Okay, now what just happened, if you're listening, is you're saying what? Yeah. There is absolutely no flow from no. let the women shut up, sit down. It's disgraceful. They need to be in subjection to the law. Or did the word of God originate from you? Doesn't even flow with 34 yeah, and 35. Make any sense. Now, we need to explain 
Yeah. What is going on when verse 34 says the women should be silent? They are not permitted to speak mm-hmm. as the law also says. Now, here's the problem with proof texting. Yeah. We try to show our church all the time that if you just take a verse out of its context, yeah. you could cobble that together with, as we showed earlier, let those that are married be as if they yeah, are not exactly. and cobble three or four verses together and you make them say anything, Absolutely. take them out of their context. Absolutely. The problem with verse 34 and 35 is they come out of left field and say the women absolutely have to be quiet. Yeah. Now, these two verses are the two most controversial verses in the scripture, in my opinion. Hmm. So let's talk about, can we trust our Bible, first of all? Because <laughs> yeah. when I start yeah. talking about, there's a real problem with these two verses. Yeah. And I'm going to put forth in just a minute, five or six possible explanations. Sure. You will do this together mm-hmm. of what's going on with these verses. And one of them is that they shouldn't be here, that they're not Pauline. Mm. Now that's bold and that's yeah. risky to say that. So yeah. I want to be very, very cautious. So here, I want to set this up a little bit because yeah. you've already started to hit on some internal um, evidence. Internally, these verses are odd in their placement. Okay. And so I also want to talk about the external evidence because you can't just go around the Bible and say, I don't like those verses, so they're not there. Right. Paul didn't say that. They're so not real. let's deal with the internal problem. Paul has mm. for 14 chapters yep. up until verse 34. Yep told us what about men and women interacting in the church? Yeah, they're equal. They should be doing it together. In chapter 11, he said, when you pray or prophesy, your head should be covered. So how could he then three chapters later? And also we need to mention this as well. In chapter 12, the list of gifts don't have a gender. Yeah. So this is an important point you're making right now, not just here in first Corinthians, but in Romans 12. That's right. I want everyone who's listening to really embrace this statement. The gifts of the spirit are given without distinction to gender. Yeah, it's really important. The gifts of the spirit nowhere in the New Testament are assigned gender. Right. Nowhere in scripture, I'm just going to keep saying it (laughs) in different ways. Nowhere in the New Testament does the scripture say this gift belongs to male. This gift belongs to female. Mm. Okay. Mercy. This gift belongs to female. Edification. This belongs to male. Okay. Prophecy, this belongs to male. Healing, this belongs to female. Nowhere do we find the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. or the apostles or Jesus parsing a list and saying these items, A, B, and C, go in the male category. Right. Items D, E, F, and G go in the female category. And H, I, J, and K are bisexual. Yeah, yeah. They can be shared. Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't happen in scripture. No. So somehow over the centuries, something got broken here. Yeah. Yeah. To where we started saying, this is a male thing. This is a female thing. When the scripture doesn't say that. You know what I think? It comes down to cultural conditioning. If it's manly, quote unquote, in a culture to be X, Y, Z, you're supposed to look like, then those are the kinds of gifts that you should possess. And if it's womanly in that culture to possess X, Y, Z, then those are the gifts you'll possess. Right. But is that what the Bible says? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. The Bible does not say that because you are built this way or built this way means that you're going to have a certain kind of gift. Yeah. Yeah. And again, our thinking is conditioned by our tradition and our culture. That's right. So whatever your religious tradition is Mm -hmm. and your cultural context condition your thinking on some of these issues. Yeah. And clearly coming from a Baptist tradition, we have been conditioned that this is for women and this is for men, Right. even though the scripture didn't say that. I mean, it's just so clear. Okay. So now there's this passage though, staring at us, David, That's and right. this is how the Baptists got to this. Sure. 
They use this as a proof text yeah. along with first Timothy two, which is a whole nother conversation. Yep. yep. The problem in Ephesus, but Paul is saying, okay, well, what is Paul saying? Is Paul saying this? Is Paul quoting this? What, what exactly is happening? What yeah. you're saying is internal evidence. He's contradicting himself. If he's literally saying yeah. the women must not participate and they must sit down, they are not permitted to speak. So here's what I want to say, David. If this is really what Paul's saying, that even the hard right Baptists mm. who say this is what he's saying, don't practice it. Yeah. Because they teach in nursery, preschool, elementary. They get up and read announcements sometimes. They talk to new people that walk in as greeters. If we're going to be consistent. They must be quiet in the church. They are not permitted to speak. But then there's all these interpretational leaps and backflips that people have to do. Say, well, what Paul really is saying here is that they can't prophesy. They can't or they can't the truth. They can't interpret the prophecy that just happened. Which is so silly because Paul three chapters earlier said that when they prophesy and pray. Right. It's They, they clearly have a speaking role. And again, all of Paul's language, I feel like a broken record, mm-hmm. Romans 16, yeah. calling these women his co-workers, yep. apostles, apostles, mm-hmm. deacons. Yep. They are clearly co-laborers with Paul. They are clearly equal partners yep. in the ministry. And Paul said they have financed this. Yep. The church was financed by women. That's right. They have risked their necks for the gospel's sake, Paul said. Mm-hmm. And we ought to mention their names And we ought to salute them and we ought to pay homage to these people who risked everything for this Jesus movement to proclaim this message. Christ died for our sins and was buried. Mm -hmm. He rose from the grave and was seen. And these people have risked their lives to run all over the Roman empire and shout that message from the hilltops. And they are men and women and they are highly esteemed. So what you're saying is it's not plausible that Paul now is saying the women are not allowed to talk in church. It would contradict everything he's ever written. Internally, it just it's a mess. It doesn't make sense. Now, also internally, and we should note this. Well, maybe we should start dealing with the external first in order to get back into some of the internal evidence because there's some interesting things that have happened in the manuscripts, which are where we get our English translations from. So maybe before I even say anything else, let me just give it this little introduction. Our, our English New Testament comes from Greek manuscripts that were copied and passed on. Now, the sheer amount of manuscripts that we have is overwhelming. It's incredible how many we have. Um, now, there has been and continues to be some rules that need to be in place when it comes to translation. Now, these rules are ardently followed by those individuals and committees who work together to examine the manuscripts and translate them then into English. You can be extremely confident. I need you to hear this. You can be extremely confident that the Bible that you have is accurate. It's reliable. Yeah, it is. It's accurate now. But with that said, in the New Testament, there are 0.2% of passages in the manuscripts that are up for debate. And when you say up for debate, it means we have multiple Greek manuscripts right. that have slightly variant readings. That's exactly right. So the debate is whether what we have in our Bible are the words that were originally written because we've got a manuscript that says it this way and a manuscript that says it this way. So now we need to look at that. Now, this shouldn't shake our confidence in the Bible. We're talking about point. of the entire thing. And of those 0.2%, which we're talking about six passages now, only six passages in your entire New Testament, of those 0.2%, they are not consequential to the gospel, 
to the character of God, to the deity of Jesus, what I would call first order doctrinal yeah, death, issues. Death, burial, resurrection issues are not up for debate. No, none of that. Let me give you just a couple of examples. You talked about the Johannine comma this past summer. Yep. That's one of them. You so, dealt with that really, so for really the, well. So those who weren't here, go back and listen to the first John series. Yes. And there's a disputed phrase in here mm-hmm. called the Johannine comma, John's comma. Yeah. Comma just means a parenthetical statement, really, in That's this right. context, not a punctuation mark, but a phrase. That's right. Does this phrase actually belong here or not? Did John say it or not? Yes. That's and, and, the issue. And we have some clear, like you've showed us this past summer, we have some clear evidence that it, there was an insertion in the Middle Ages, and we can pretty well document that and understand Because that. we have Bibles older That's right. <laughs> than the one that has the insertion. Yeah. That didn't have it. That's absolutely right. So you can kind of trace where the insertion came from. And so that's a debate in the manuscripts. And we should want that debate to, to happen. Right. We should want that to happen because what we want are the original words that were written down by the original people. So the more manuscripts, the further history goes into the future. Mm-hmm. And the more they can dig up, yeah. the more discoveries that can be made, the more we can compare things, yes. the more reliable the Bible That's gets, actually, not, the, not the shakier it yeah, gets. It, we shouldn't come at it with our hyper-rationalistic mindset and say, well, see, here's a little tiny problem, 0.2%. So now we can't trust the whole thing. That's silliness. We should come yeah. at it the other way and say, there's only 0.2% yeah. on an ancient document from 2000 years ago. I mean, we can trust this thing. So here's another passage that you'll probably recognize at the end of John chapter seven on into John chapter eight. And actually most Bibles will bracket this section. It's the story where Jesus has a woman brought to him by the Pharisees. She yeah. was caught in the act of adultery. Mm-hmm. You may know the story. One of the most familiar stories to Absolutely. us. Absolutely. They bring her to him and he kneels down, starts writing in the dust. We don't know what he's writing. It doesn't matter. And he tells them uh, kind of the conclusion of the story that he who is without sin should go ahead and cast the first stone. So there's a lot of dispute about how that story came That's back right. into the tradition. That's right. And I've preached it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. But again, it is it's, a disputed it's, passage, it's disputed. but it doesn't change the death, burial, and resurrection. Nope. doesn't change nope. our belief in any way. Nope. It's just at that point, anecdotal to how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees and sinners. Yeah. But we already have other passages to show us that Jesus That's loved sinners. Absolutely. So it doesn't right. change anything in That's the big right. scheme of things. So we've just talked about half of the disputes in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to say that you can yeah. be confident in that, what you have. But now in this extremely small amount of passages, what the translators and the scholars have shown us is that we do need to debate these things because when we come to a passage like first Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35, these aren't just inconsequential kind of things that are happening here. This is in regards to what half of your congregation, well, more than half, 60% of your congregation, but half of the world can or can't do in a church service. Okay, I want to clarify what you're saying and to be sure I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Being able to get 34 and 35 right yes. has consequences. It does. Not gospel consequences. No, 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 no. Nope. But consequences within the body of Christ. That's right. Because if the women can't participate, we just sidelined half the body of Christ. That's exactly what I'm saying. And what you and I would contend for is that this is exactly where our tradition has failed. Yeah. And the charismatics maybe got it more right. Correct. Because they didn't sideline the women. And of course they're growing now. And of course they're growing by leaps and bounds and the Baptists are dying. That's right. And other main non-denominations as well. That's right. You know, and we just give example by example. The South Korean church after the Korean war, I've talked to extensively in lectures about this with you guys and other churches we've coached, how the South Korean mega church. The biggest church in the world. And how... The liberation of women yeah. after the fall of communism. The head turn, pastor would say. 
that the women are the ones who transformed the church yes. when they liberated them. Paul would tell you the same thing. That's Read right. Romans 16. He did tell you the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, that uh, the book of Romans got delivered because of a woman. That's right. Anyway. So now with all that said, coming to the internal evidence based upon what's happening externally here, we have some manuscripts where verses 34 and 35 are at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. And we have some where they're above 33. So if you're listening now and you've never heard this, yeah. there are more than 5,000 Greek manuscripts. Oh, yeah. Okay. When you get to the manuscripts that have this passage, mm-hmm. they're divided into Western manuscripts and Eastern manuscripts. Yeah. The Eastern manuscripts put them where they are here Correct. in the text. It's got two traditions. Yeah. <laughs> and But anyway, the two schools are different yes, on yes. one set of manuscripts puts them here. One set of manuscripts basically puts them there. So there was at least some early early like very early yeah like 1500 years ago they're already trying to figure out yeah something's wrong with these two verses yeah they do not fit in the flow of this conversation and clearly the copyists recognize that because these verses are moving all over the place they may have got put in this location mm-hmm. accidentally by the copyists who said oh when i was copying i left them out yeah they go here or added them to the end anyway there's just debate yeah One debate is where do these two verses go? Do they go in this location after 33 Mm -hmm. or do they go at the end of the chapter? Yeah. Because clearly as you read down, you need to have yourself under control as in all the churches of God's people. Now the flow doesn't even continue. And then it comes back to, or did the word of God come only to you? Yeah. See, that makes better sense internally. If they're not even there and you read from 33 right down to 37. Yeah. You have a better flow That's right. than if you have the verses there. Now, the problem is, and I'm sure there's some people out there just shuddering, saying you cannot say about our Bible that Paul didn't write these verses. I just want our listeners to know that's not me saying this. Yeah. This is some, these are two of the most controversial verses in the Bible. So there's internal evidence that mm. Paul would have never said this. And I want to come back to that yeah. for one minute. Yeah. The language in verse 33 and 34 says, let the women keep silent. They are not permitted to speak as the law says. Uh, Can I ask a question? Go ahead. Which law? Well, here's the problem. (laughs) Paul does not make an appeal to the law in this way, especially this law, because this is not in the written law of Moses. Right. Nowhere in the written law of Moses does it say the woman must keep her mouth shut. Yeah. And sit down and be quiet. Because it's disgraceful for her to speak. No, it doesn't say that anywhere. Nowhere. In, in the Torah. But in the oral but now. in the Mishnah, so, which is the so as traditions. Things, as things developed. Yeah. Now, this is where men added to the law of Moses. That's right. Now, when Jesus encounters these man-made teachings. Oh, gosh. He goes off on them. Uh, yeah. You, these you, are some of those moments you. Where bind you burdens on people. That they are not able to bear and you won't lift a finger. You've added to the commandments of God. The oral law Mm. is completely dismantled in the New Testament by Jesus and Paul. Yeah. I'm going to be very clear what I'm saying. Paul and Jesus speak against the oral law. Always. All of these man-made rules are spoken against. Yes. They never say... Yeah, you need to do all of those man-made rules because those are healthy and wholesome and and wonderful things (laughs) to do. exactly. Instead, they're being spoken against. Right. And the people who are enforcing the oral law, Mm -hmm. Jesus is at enmity with. Yeah, the brood of vipers moments, whitewashed tomb moments. Right. Even Paul, when he goes to Galatia, (laughs) is dealing with Judaizers. Yeah. 
who are trying to mix Judaism back in, this syncretism of mixing two religions together to mix the law the oral law that's right back in or even in that case the written law and trying that's to say right. everybody's got to be circumcised or to be got to be a jew yeah. here's the order be a jew now you can be a christian and paul's just like that's crazy that's crazy talk yeah so the big point here is you do not find paul in the new testament saying everyone needs to uphold the oral traditions right. of judaism can you imagine now the context here is corinth corinth <laughs> on the greek peninsula yeah this is New Orleans, right? Jammed with San Francisco and New York right. in Greece. There are some Jews here, but these are not predominantly Jews. Yes, these are Greco-Roman, yeah, idol worshiping, yeah, sexually free. Mm. This is a whole different context. Yeah, can you imagine Paul going in there and saying, "Let's obey the oral traditions of the Jewish law"? Now, if you wanted to do that, he should have mentioned it. In the preceding 14 chapters, anywhere, he could have said something like that. He doesn't say it anywhere. So it, we know what you're saying is right right now. Not just in 1 Corinthians. He didn't say it anywhere. <laughs> in any of his yeah. other letters. Yeah. If he says anything about the law, he's talking about the written law of Moses. Yeah. And he's saying the law is good and just and holy. Right. But. It also crucifies you, kills you, <laughs> because it brings to life you're a sinner. That's right. And you can't stand up to it. Yeah. yeah. So thank goodness for Jesus. Thank goodness for Jesus. That's so let's right. don't talk about the law. Let's talk about the gospel. Now that's Absolutely. Pauline. That's Paul. Let's, let's divert quickly to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So how could Paul in verse 34 be talking about as the law says? It's just nonsensical. Yeah. Nonsensical is correct. So let's just talk about some of the options of what's going on here in okay. verse 34 and 35. Now, one is where do they go? Yeah. We have multiple manuscripts that have them here. We have multiple yeah. manuscripts that have them at the end of verse 40. The yeah. And I want to say this, Gordon Fee, which is one of the big resources we've used in yeah, this very first trusted, reliable voice. Yeah. He's one of the members actually of the translation committee up for the NIV. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, he's a very respected scholar, New Testament scholar. And in fact, if you were to Google best commentaries on first Corinthians, it's his. his name is going to be the number one. Yeah. So just know this guy's serious. He says of this passage that quote, there is nothing even close to being similar to it in the entire copying or translation tradition of either any part or the whole of the entire New Testament. He also says, quote, displacements of this kind do not occur elsewhere in the New Testament. So we talk about displacement, we talk about two verses being moved like moved these are. up and down through the chapter trying to figure out where they really belong. So again, internally, this doesn't make sense, which prompts the scholars to go, okay, this doesn't make sense. Did Let's somebody, look back at the manuscripts. Yes. And so they look back at the manuscripts and they go, what? Why are they moving all over the place? Right, right. Which causes them to ask more questions. Okay. So one option is these verses don't go here. That's right. Okay. That is a reasonable, and we have some textual evidence that they have been moved. Mm -hmm. They may belong here. They may not belong, may belong at the end of the chapter. Okay. okay? That doesn't solve my big problem. Mm. Paul has just said two very unpauline things. Yeah. He would never say to Priscilla and Aquila, hey, Aquila, you need to muzzle Priscilla. She, Tell her to shut up and much. sit down. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, he would have never said to Phoebe, Phoebe, you're not permitted to speak in the church. He gave her the book of Romans and told her to go Deliver it to the Church of Rome. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a complete contradiction. It's antithetical. it's antithetical to Paul. Okay, let's talk about what a margin gloss and an interpolation is. Yes. So for those who are listening, many of you on Sundays have been using a journal. Mm -hmm. And we've been going through the text. Yep. And over beside the text, you and I have been saying to our congregants, hey, in the margin, write believers right here. Yeah. 
in the margin, right? Isaiah 28 right here. And we've been giving you things to underline and circle and things to write in the margin of your journal. Imagine that we fast forward human history mm. 500 years. Yeah. And one day, 500 years in the future, someone moves into your house, if it's still standing, <laughs> and finds a box in your attic and pulls out your first Corinthians journal. Yeah. And the paper's a little bit matted, right? Yeah, it's yeah. worn. And let's imagine that in these 500 years, some really anti-God movement swept mm. through the history of America yeah. and burned Bibles right. and confiscated and deleted files. Sure. And we were trying to recreate now 500 yeah. years later a reliable first mm. Corinthians. Yeah. And so there was a worldwide movement saying, if anybody has a first Corinthians, anything, anywhere, we want it. That wasn't burned by the radicals and yeah. wasn't deleted by the Google, Facebook monopolies of the world <laughs> who deleted all of our files sure. or whatever. If there's any reliable copies of first Corinthians out there, would you please bring them down? There's a dedicated group of theologians, born again, Christians mm -hmm. trying to reconstruct the new Testament. Yeah and give it to our children. Yeah. And they found your first Corinthians journal. And as they were trying to recreate, they compared your journal to my journal, to a copy they found in Mexico, to a copy they found in Nepal, to a copy they found in Great Britain, to mm -hmm. a copy they found in Australia. But on your copy, there were some things written in the margin with some arrows drawn over towards mm -hmm. the text. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to figure out if your notes actually belong in the text. Is yep. that fair? So that would be called a margin gloss. It means somebody made notes in the margin and centuries later, we're trying to figure out, did they realize there was an omission because you maybe had it memorized or something sure. and you knew, sure. hey, this word goes here. Yeah, I need to point an arrow back to it to say, insert that word as you recopy this. So the copy is 500 years from now. We're trying to figure out, okay, what of this yeah. are actually Paul's words to the Corinthians right. and what are Bethany Nanez's words sure. written in the margin of her journal? Sure or any one of our church members sure. who's journaling. Whatever it is, yeah. Okay. That wouldn't be easy to figure out. You'd have to compare journal yep. to every other scrap of 1 Corinthians 14 they could find. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's a margin gloss. Okay. Yeah. Something written out to the side that maybe needs to be included, or it could just be a note about that thing. When compiling all of those together, mm -hmm. if they decided to put it in the text... And said, these words are written in the margin, but we think they actually go in the text. Right. I think Paul actually said this. Right. They would insert it into the text, and then it would become not a margin gloss, but an interpolation. Yeah. An insertion into the yes. text. Yes. So now that's a simple as I can make it, and I probably yeah. didn't do justice to it, but, but that's my understanding of how that works. And there are many scholars who hold to that position. So many people believe that what you're reading in verse 34 and 35 is a gloss mm -hmm. where someone who was clearly a Jewish convert. Again, the law thing that we just talked about. Early, early, early in the Christian tradition. Yes. In the very early First copy. century, second century, third century, early yeah. in the Christian tradition, yeah. some copyist who was a Jewish convert mm -hmm. saw what was going on here. Paul saying, in the congregation this, in the congregation this, in private that, unity, edification, everyone use your spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. I wish that everyone would prophesy. I wish that everyone mm. would use their gifts. And the copyist wrote in the margin, except the women, right. they need to keep quiet in the church because that's what the oral 
Mishnah said. That's right. So let them follow that. And if they want to ask anything, let them ask their husband at home. Yeah. Now the copyist wrote it. Mm-hmm. And one theory here is that over time, yeah. it became an insertion into the text and now found its way into our Bibles as what Paul said when Paul didn't say it. Right. Because it's clearly not Pauline. Yeah. At least in our opinion. Internally, it's not Pauline and it contradicts everything he's Everything he just said for 14 chapters. It doesn't make any sense. So again, this is a very reasonable position. And actually the burden of evidence really is not on this gloss or interpolation camp. The burden of evidence is on people who would say that it isn't because they have yet to produce as ample and as scholarly evidence as people who do proclaim it to be an interpolation. And again, I'm going to go back to the spiritual gifts are never Mm. parsed by gender. So for Paul to come on the scene now, suddenly after saying, I want everyone, everyone, this is his language in 14. (laughs) I wish that all of you would prophesy. That clearly includes all the women in the room. Yeah. Then to a few verses later, turn around and say, now I want you all to shut up and sit down. You're not allowed to speak. There's no way this flows with the content of the chapter. Because if spiritual gifts are given to the women, and we all agree they are. And they're to have authority over their own head. uh, This is chapter chapter 11. 11. They must have authority over their own head. Yeah. Then leave them alone. Let them exercise their spiritual gifts. You can't turn around and tell them to shut up and sit down. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't flow. So let's deal with another option Mm -hmm. here. Early in this Zero Corinthians study, we introduced the concept of QRD, quotation refutation device. This is a style of Paul's writing that is clearly proven. In this letter and elsewhere. And elsewhere. Yeah. And over and over again, we keep pointing out to our congregants, do you see these quotation marks? Yeah. They weren't in the KJV. Right. They are now in the modern Bibles where they can find consensus. Correct. Those quotation marks are not in the Greek. The Greek doesn't have this punctuation like this. Yes. So there is some modern consensus now that eight or more times, I think more, Paul is quoting the mm-hmm. Corinthians letter. Yes. yes. This is why we called the series Zero Corinthians. Right. Where Paul says, now I want to answer the concerning the things you wrote to me about. Right. It's only reasonable that he's going to say, you said. Mm-hmm. Now, but I say, but I say. And, and there's examples <laughs> yeah. of that yeah, it's all where good. in quotes, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. Are beneficial. <laughs> yeah. And, and Paul yeah. didn't say all things are lawful. Right. He's quoting the Corinthians who said that. That's right. Now, if you want a fun exercise, I want you to put quotation marks mm. around verse 34 and 35. Yeah. Now there's not consensus for it. So yeah. it's not done in your NIV or your. CSB this way. That's right. But it makes sense of the passage all of a sudden. There are scholars out there who argue that this is clearly 34 and 35, a QRD moment where Paul is quoting the Corinthians Mm. and he's saying, you practice this disunity. You're stepping all over each other. The spirits need to be subject to the prophets. Y'all need to do everything decently and in order. As in all the churches. As in all the churches. Y'all say... The women should be silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. End quote. Since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. End quote. End quote. And now Paul says, but did the word of God originate from you or did it come from you only? So it sets up beautifully as a QRD because in a QRD, you quote 
the error. That's right. Then you blast it with the truth. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Now that's his that's way. Right. Yeah. And that flows beautifully as a QRD yeah, where a he say, let's do it in order. Let's honor one another. Y'all quit saying, shut these women up. Yeah. Y'all are saying we need to unveil them or veil them or yeah, shut them up or stuff. whatever. And again, what's interesting is in the Greek, in those next verses, did the word come only to you? Those are masculine yes, phrases use there. on purpose. Did the word of God come only to you men? Yeah. Which again, if it's a quote, it makes sense that it would be masculine and not just a y'all phrase right there. Yeah. So this could easily be Paul saying, I'm not saying bridle the women, mm -hmm. muzzle the women mm -hmm. and silence them. You're saying it. And what I'm saying to you is that is not decently in an order. Yeah. And the word of God didn't come only to the men. That's right. Again, spiritual gifts. Yeah. Is what we're talking about. And he keeps saying, I want you all to prophesy. He's talking about the gospel. Yeah. So I'm going to edify the congregation. Let the women do that. Let the women speak. The word of God didn't just come to you, men. Right. right. It makes total sense of the rest of the passage yeah. and the passage that precedes. And you say, well, why didn't they quote it in the CSB or the NIV? Just because they couldn't find consensus on yeah, it. We can't find consensus. The scholars couldn't all agree that that's what should be done because there's like six options on how to handle yeah. the controversy now, in this passage. Now, let's say this is Paul's language, which I think is the least likely solution, but let's just say it is Paul's language here. It still cannot contradict what he said. Whatever's happening here has to then be a very specific situation or a very specific couple that he's talking to. It cannot mean this is a general rule to overlay on all churches everywhere for all of history. There's no way. It doesn't sync with the rest of the teaching of the New Testament. So either way, if we leave this in here and we say it's Paul's language, it still can't contradict everything he's just right. said for the past 14 chapters. It, that's correct. That he has to be speaking to something very specific. And we won't know necessarily. So let, let me ask you, it. and I know this is a little dangerous to do kind of live like this, <laughs> but which option do you lean towards? I, I think, mean, they're, I think we, they're all reasonable, but yeah. I think the one that I lean towards based upon the scholarship and the amount of reading that we've done is an interpolation. Interpolation that's written over in the marginal yeah. notes, and then it got pushed into the text at some point. Yeah, and we could reference some really great books here and some really great study that's been done and some really good websites where there's yeah. been a lot of conversation by yeah. the experts to one another. And again, sorry to interrupt, but I yeah. want to say to our congregation, because of what you just said, mm. it's not like this is not talked about. Yeah, yeah, it's out there. Oh my goodness, it's not talked about in Baptist churches. Sure. But trust me, there's a stack of books that you oh and I goodness. and Jeremy have read yeah. in preparation for two years studying this book, even leading up to the Reverse the Curse series. Right. There is a mountain of information out there if somebody wants to wade through it. Again, it's very technical, some of it, but oh, yeah. and boring. Oh, yeah. But there's a, <laughs> there are book after book written basically on these two verses Yes. and showing what's going on in the text of these two verses. That's absolutely right. Our position on these two verses is it may be an interpolation. Hmm. Could be a quote. It may be a quotation refutation where hmm. Paul is saying, yeah, you said this, but I'm saying nonsense on you. Yeah. You guys don't have a monopoly on Jesus. Yeah, which it could easily work. It could easily work. Whatever's happening here, this is not the place where you would. Oh, gosh. You yeah. would say, this is the verse that teaches women are not allowed to do ministry right. in the and church. And so then I take this verse and I look at 2 Timothy chapter two. 2 and I go, see, 
Paul's very consistent now in his teachings. I cobbled two verses together, and one then, from Corinth and one from right. Ephesus. And then I misquote what's happening in First Corinthians 13. chapter 11. I know I'm saying verse oh. 11, verse three, where he's head, uh, you oh, know, yeah. Christ yeah. is the head of whatever. Yeah. And then I go, well, see, that's what he's saying also in Ephesians okay. chapter okay. five with you. Yeah. and Colossians chapter one. And therefore now we have a very cohesive picture because I've picked all these verses together without looking at them very critically. Right. That's correct. You cobbled together five verses. Yes. And now I've made an entire doctrinal standpoint that people to this day right now are arguing about. That just doesn't, I don't think that does justice to the word of God. And I don't taken, think it does justice to the We've taken half of the there. body of Christ and yeah. we've told the wonderful women who are followers of Christ and so dedicated and so faithful, I'm sorry, you need to be quiet and sit on the sidelines while the men lead this yeah, church. Because of your gender. When clearly Paul doesn't do that anywhere else. And Jesus has women disciples and the women disciples were the first ones to prophesy or proclaim yeah. the gospel. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's we, we, we could, we could do this all day yeah, long. Sure what I want to say is, uh, for those who haven't maybe studied these two verses, I want you to know, these are two of the most controversial verses in the Bible. Yep. There are many explanations for this yes. that you may not have considered. Yep. And interpolation, yeah. QRD, there's a lot of explanations lot of, that yeah. answer this. Paul is not saying to the cornerstone women mm. in 2021. Yeah. Or the Nicaraguan women, mm. or the Indian women, or the yeah. Nepali women, or the Chinese women, or the Romanian women. Paul is not saying to them, you must keep quiet and sit on your side of the church. Yeah. Ministry is reserved for the men. Yeah. If anything, he is saying the exact opposite of that. Yes. Very forcefully. Yes. In these chapters. And this has been completely misinterpreted and no one seems to want to correct it because the boys club is leading the show. And so yeah. we just want to be that voice that yeah. says, this is not right. It needs to be addressed or the church can never be all that it should be with half of its members sitting on the sidelines. And I want to echo the tradition that Paul gave to the Corinthians that he can praise them about Galatians three twenty-eight: There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I want all of you to use your gifts. Man, what a beautiful expression that Paul gives us there. And how could he contradict himself again? It just doesn't make any sense. And yep. so this is what, just what you said. We want to serve God and we don't want to sideline anyone. Man, this is a great conversation from this chapter. Mm -hmm. A long one, but a worthy one. Because again, the two verses in that passage yep. there, we don't have stuff like this. And so it, it does matter that we take this take a critical time. look at it yeah. and take the time to actually discuss it. And not only is that controversial, but tongues and prophecy is still a, yeah. a very relevant topic. So thank you guys for listening so much to this Cornerstone Conversation. As we finish out the series, be looking for the chapter 13 sermon that Jeremy will be doing here at the end of our series. We look forward to ending on a high note, which is love one another. Amen. What an incredible conversation. I am just so blessed that I get to know these guys and hear the wisdom that God has given to them as we dig into scripture together. I hope that you are equally challenged and that you are motivated, that you've learned just as much as I have by listening to this conversation. Again, as you hear and as you listen and study on your own, if you have any questions, send in your feedback to 817-809-3040 so that we can continue to foster a culture of conversation here at Cornerstone.